Clicks go live, so we're we're there. Hey, Modern Commerce, welcome back. We're at it again with another hot interview. Uh, John set up another one for us. You know this man cannot be stopped when it comes to the interview game best in the biz. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring him up here, and he's going to introduce who he's got for us today. John, game go for it, bro. Whoa. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring him what up is here. going on with my audio? Do you guys hear that? Sure do. What is going on with my audio? Oh, it's because I have the YouTube live on. That's on me. <laughs> Today we have Alexa. That was that was rough. That was rough, everybody. Good <laughs> job. Smart. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Alexa. Alexa, 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 Alexa. Um yeah, Alexa, what's up? Um so Alexa Kilroy, head of brand at Triple Whale. Uh excited to have you today. Excited to have, you know, be have have some of the female presence from e-commerce. Just yep. you know, a little if you know, you know there. Ladies, wrap it up. If you know, yeah. you know. <laughs> um there we go. Hey, P Chase, pencil. Absolutely I'm guessing Chase. Chase. Could be someone else. <laughs> Uh, it's his, it's his assistant. Sorry. I'm sure he has assistants for most of that stuff. Yeah. Um, pencil, a uh, little, little, little preview, little preview might be our show sponsor. I don't know. Who knows? Um, Alexa, give us uh, Alexa's head of brand at triple whale, by the way. Um, if you don't know and, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your background, your What's teacher, cracking? you know, you don't really know anything about e-commerce. You sing and you teach. That's yes. pretty much it, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you saw my birthday tweet for Mr. Nick Shackelford, you'll see that um, I'm also an expert artist. Uh, so be sure to check that out today. Nice. Uh, but yeah, what's up? I'm Alexa, um, head of brand, a triple whale. Oh, gosh, my face just got really big. Okay, here I am. All right, we'll do that. We'll <laughs> and, do that. <laughs> well, we do that. Um, but yeah, I started my career as a high school English teacher. And then I was like, mm, maybe not. And uh, ended up in e-com and spent the past few years in growth marketing and then ended up here at Triple Whale in May of 2022 this year. Now I'm nice. leading brand things. Yes, let's do it. So um, we today are going to talk about, because Triple Whale, I mean, uh, give us give us a little background on what Triple Whale is. And uh, also, I think you got, some, you got some stuff coming up, right? Yeah. So tell us about Triple Whale. Tell us about the event that you're putting together coming up. Cool. Yeah. So if you aren't familiar with Triple Whale, um, you probably haven't used the Twitter app in the past six months. Highly recommend you get on that. Uh, we'll be all up in your face. Um, but Triple Whale is, uh, we're in kind of like the MarTech and data space. So we link up with your Shopify, all of your various paid and digital marketing channels. Uh, we have a first party attribution solution so that you can help link those purchases back to where your customers came from. Um, and we've got all kinds of cool features in there. A lot of stuff that most people used to crunch numbers and sheets for, uh, we built out for you with lots of yeah. pretty data visualizations and uh, fixed some so of that no broken iOS 14 data. No more freaking Google data studios that you break every day, <laughs> every day. Mm -hmm. No mas. Yeah. Um, and you've got an event coming up. I am humbled and blessed and, and just, you know, all the things to have be able to speak. Um, so yeah, tell us about creative Palooza. What is, what's yeah. the vibe? What is the purpose? Who's it for? Yeah. So creative Palooza is a, a project that I came up with shortly after starting. Can't believe everyone just, trusted in me and we're doing this baby. But um, really, I used to work in growth marketing, but I was more of a creative strategist. I even did like 
product photography and videography and all kinds of stuff when I started in e-com. And so um, I've been to a bunch of conferences, but a lot of them are really focused on uh, media buying, leadership, um, ops, finance, that kind of stuff. And I was like, there's just not, you know, there are never enough talks for me on web design and um, creative psychology and messaging and copy. And so I was like, let's freaking build a conference around that. And so Creative Palooza came to be. Uh, my vision was to have it be like Lollapalooza Music Fest theme. So we've got some fun surprises coming that way. Um, but it's going to be a two-day sick mastermind event, all kinds of different topics covering pretty much everything creative that relates to the success of your e-com business. Um, and the day before November 1st, it's, it's in Austin also. And um, the day before November 1st, we're actually literally just throwing a giant pickleball tournament slash party. Yeah. So it's going to be a banger That's of it. a week. Yeah, Casey's gonna come for pickleball and drinks, and then he's gonna leave for the event. Yeah, I mean, technically, I I'm a creative about... strategist, but I mean, but on. really, he's yeah. You already know like, everything. Bar, so you don't bar, need to well, I guess pickleball's not really like if it were a cornhole tournament, Casey would be there. He would win it. Um, <laughs> I've never played pickleball. In my there's life. probably some ringers yeah. in Austin, Texas. I just that seems like a place where there's gonna be some cornhole players. Oh, it's it's a scene. Yeah, I, I think um, it holds their own in pickleball, cornhole, all the all those fun games. All those things. All right, cool. Um, well, cool. We are going to talk today about uh, because Triple Whale is across so many brands and because you have like much data, uh, we're going to talk about it before the show. Like you have a lot of insights across a lot of brands. Um, you know, some really awesome macro trends that we're going to break down as well as uh, going to get into some of the strategies, tactics uh, that some of the top brands this year are using. I call it maybe wartime strategies, wartime tactics, um, you know, when things aren't quite as good as they used to be. Uh, first up, though, speaking of pencil, uh, let's let's get a word from our sponsor. Casey, will you go into a different room, change clothes, and tell us about our sponsor, please? <laughs> Casey, you are an absolute beast right now. You're churning out so many creatives across multiple brands. What is it that is so hard about producing such a high volume of creatives? Why can't a lot? Why can't more brands do it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say if you're doing it the right way, of course, um, you should be always analyzing your your past ads. You know, the things you've already turned out, your most recent uh, test group that you've put out, um, and that should inform your next round of creation, not just go all willy nilly about it. So I would say that's why it's difficult to speed up that process, is because it's always kind of a two pronged approach of of analyzing and creation, really. So how is it that you are able to do that across like twelve to fifteen accounts? Yeah, I mean, it does get pretty wild. But honestly, when I use pencil, it's not as bad. Uh, pencil is a tool that I use. It, it's got AI that'll help determine what my best ads are. It'll even break it down into the best elements of those ads. And in that platform, it'll automatically generate new ads for me to launch. And I can push them live straight from the platform uh, into Facebook, IG. Um, it also works great for other platforms as well, like TikTok, whatever you're on, really. If you sound like me and you're always in the weeds with your creatives, use our promo code. Go to trypencil.com, use promo code modcom15. You'll save 15% off on any paid plan. One more time, that's trypencil.com, modcom15. Save 15% off any paid plan they have there. And uh, back to the show. Thank you for not, you didn't even change <laughs> Yeah, I just realized how I cycled through like six shirts. Yeah. Yep. Oops. Yeah. It's the moment that everyone realizes Casey just has like five of the same shirt. That's all it works. True. Um, same. Cool. Well, let's well, get into it. 
Yeah, I would say I what the brand is, but they haven't they haven't paid any sponsor. Yeah, you know what? Don't do that for them. <laughs> this is all about pencil and create a palooza today. Um, all right, let's get into it. So uh, let's talk about macro trends, especially the, especially ones this year that you're seeing. That um, I don't know. In in you know, if you have you you know, hey, here's the macro trend that I'm seeing across brands across e-commerce. Um, I, here's what I think about it. I don't know. Right. Like if you want to just unpack it, we can discuss it. And anyone who's watching, if you want to hop in the comments and just give your opinion, um, go ahead. But yeah, Alexa. What do you oh, got? I got feels. Yeah. Uh, so for, for context, the reason why they brought me onto this magical podcast, um, is because triple has over 6,000, uh, Shopify brands using the app right now. Um, and I am able to hack into the back end and see the data and crunch the numbers and build the reports. Um, so I'll be doing my best to, uh, talk macro and not name drop anyone or anything like that so that we keep it all kosher, but, um, definitely in terms of macro trends, um, I think the biggest thing, and I can't stress this enough is just the mass diversification of ad spend. Um, the craziest thing for me has been watching the growth in TikTok ad spend. Um, we looking at 2021 data, we saw, I want to say like 18 mil in TikTok ad spend, and we're already at about 90 mil. Uh, it's October 13th. Um, so it's not even the end of the year, not even the end of Q4. So uh, crazy spend on TikTok and not even last point of conversion spend. It's literally just like people leveraging uh, TikTok as part of their customer journey, which is pretty rad. And we can talk about that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's what I'm interested in. So like, uh, so, so is it like, I mean, because you guys also obviously have Pixel plugged into a lot of stuff um, and, and you can see the performance of TikTok. Like, tell me the numbers again. So tell, tell me that that year over year spend trend again. Yeah, like, it I was just... like, 18 I'm I'm rough estimating because I pulled this earlier today but it was like 18 mil in 2021 and we're at about 90 mil now <laughs> so like a lot was that almost 5x close to 5x 4x yeah. and, a, and some change like four right? X, yeah yeah so um that's it might exactly be 5x sorry mental math um so yeah that that's interesting but but you're saying it's not necessarily like is tiktok performing that well in terms of like a, a conversion platform basis because this is what we're seeing is like yeah there is more spend getting pushed into tiktok but it, it doesn't necessarily like drive conversions especially not like like new new to custom new new to brand customers first touch point they see an ad they convert which Facebook's always been so good at. Um, we're not seeing TikTok really do that at like mass scale enough to like take dollars from Facebook um, or to elicit that much more spend. But um, yeah, so that's what I'm interested in is like, is it because TikTok is performing really well or is it because the brands that are surviving now are the ones that diversify spend and, and, and spend on things that don't return right away, but put you know prospects into their funnel? Yeah, I think the most efficient and like fastest growing brands that we have on board right now, they're converting most of their customers at touch point, somewhere between touch point two and four, usually around three and four. Right. Um, and so TikTok is just part of that journey for them. And for many, it's like either TikTok or Facebook was first, the other one comes second, Facebook or Instagram. Um, the other one comes second, and then 
maybe it's one more ad. Often it's email or SMS, which is one of the kind of trends that I want to talk about as well. We're seeing a lot of those actual conversions come through through email and SMS after folks have kind of been hit with a couple ads, but um, nothing works like Facebook used to where you like put money in, take money <laughs> out. Um, like any brands that I see that have like really high actual conversion rates at first touch point from a Facebook ad, I'm like, literally what crack are you putting in those ads? Like that's not normal anymore. Right. And so, um, for me, it's, I have been thinking way more holistically about digital marketing ever since I started trip Oil, just kind of looking at this data. And now I, I don't even really think about ad spend in the same way that I used to. It's my brain kind of operates in like MER now. Um, and, and we also provide like multiple different attribution models. Um, I am using our linear one, which like splits your, uh, basically your ROI across all the channels that were a touch point along the journey. Um, and for most people, TikTok is just a part of that journey that ultimately helps people convert because people are just taking way longer these days, man. DR advertising, direct response just doesn't work like yeah. it used to. Well, so, so I was actually thinking about, I don't know if I was discussing this with somebody or if it was just me talking to myself in the shower, that happens a lot. Um, but, but I was thinking about this the other day is that I think that, um, you know, the reason that if you think about it, like just even not like oh, what's happened with iOS 14 or like, don't even get too technical about it. Think about when, um, people were just like putting a dollar into Facebook ads, getting three or four or five or two or whatever, how many dollars out they needed. And they're just scaling that like crazy. You know, a lot of times what they were selling was something that I would categorize like it's in the impulse purchase range, right? Yeah. Like it is 50 bucks, 60 bucks, you know, maybe 40, 30, whatever. And it could work. And and Facebook had the, all of like this basically abundance of really qualified traffic or this abundance of users, right? Like just tons and tons of users that they had enough data on to know who, who was qualified and would buy. Um, but like from a macro trend level, as more people have advertised on on the platform on Facebook, Instagram, Meta, whatever we want to call it now, as more people have done that, uh, that's driven the cost of advertising up, especially to those high quality users. And if you know, I know in like our latest data that I I've looked at, like in macro trends, it's like a lot of the best performing brands on Facebook have AOVs in like the ninety five to one hundred and fifteen dollar range, which is not yep. that's not impulse purchase. Land, yep, yep. right like most people aren't just like yeah i got you know i'll drop 100 bucks on that like even if they have it it's like you know you take a second <laughs> you don't just drop 100 bucks on something usually um yeah. even if it, you know even if it's like well why don't we just target people with disposable income i'm like i mean they got that way somehow and it wasn't by just you know spending it <laughs> spending money spending money <laughs> yeah um so like yeah no i i think it makes a lot of sense that it's like what survived like to me i i almost wonder if it's not necessarily the marketing environment that's like, oh, here's why, you know, these brands are not converting on first purchase anymore. It's because it's like, well, the brands that have survived are the kinds of brands that they just don't really convert on first purchase. People have to think about it. Um, and so maybe some of it is that Facebook's less good at it. Maybe some of it's that Facebook's more expensive. Um, some of it's that they've lost data, but some of it's just that like those of us who are still around, you know, we're not selling fidget spinners anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a friend earlier today who called me just about particularly Facebook advertising woes and um, they sell a variety of, of SKUs, but they're all like 400 to $500. It's like a luxury jewelry item. Mm -hmm. And he was just telling me like how challenging it has become even more so like in the current global climate where folks are just 
a little bit more reticent about spending their money, um, particularly leading up to the holiday season. If they aren't purchasing that product as a gift, like they're very unlikely to buy themselves a $400 nice thing for themselves impulse buy. And so it just takes way longer like that. If you think about it, it's almost like closer to like a SaaS sales cycle where you really have to like sell people for a while um, and convince them that they either need it or want it so badly that they're willing to spend $400 on it. Um, and it's yeah. just kind of changed the game. And, and you know, the post-COVID, the, the air quotes recession, if we want to call it that officially, like, I think it's easy to say like, oh, this is what worked before. This is what works now. But there are so many more like global and economic impacts that impact our little corner of e-commerce. And it's easy to like not apply all of that thought right. to like what's working on the platforms, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to just get mad at Zuck because he's not giving us our right. returns anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, and really, if you think about it, like what, what is the platform motivated to do? Well, it's not motivated to sell your crappy dropship product. That's for sure. Like that's not keeping people coming back, you know? So if he can, if the platform, if we're talking about the platform as if it's a person, you know, if the, it, the interest of the platform is like, okay, well, I want to sell stuff, but I want to um, also want people to come back so I can sell them more stuff. If the if there's an overabundance of advertisers, who's going to get edged out, right? It's not. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the people who are really usually selling more impulse purchase products. There are still brands, like you said, that are like getting really good returns on front end, or getting really low cost, high conversion rates on front end. Usually, they're doing some kind of loss leader strategy or some kind of thing like that, where it's like, oh yeah, I know if I can acquire a customer this way. I mean, this is a brand that I'm involved with. Um, what we do, right? Like we actually lose on our front end acquisition, but um, there's a, there's a membership aspect involved and we know it's really, really sticky. So it's like, okay, well, if, you know, if we can buy against a three month LTV, like we're really, really good in a good position. And then we just watch our cash flows. We watch our MAR. Um, so that's a lot of the ones that are high, high converting front end. That's what they're looking at. So if you're like, oh, why aren't my Facebook ads crushing like they used to, or TikTok ads? The only thing that's doing that now is Google, but Google's got limited scale. Yeah. And I think also like as we, I, I know for those watching, we noodled on how to structure this chat for a while. And I think yeah. it's just kind of being an amoeba, but I'm cool with yeah. it. I'm loving it. Um, we were, we were trying to think about how we can really like roll in all these different macro trends and things that we want to talk about. But as we think about acquisition, um, one of the things that I wanted to, to tap into is kind of like pricing strategy. And I think that rolls really well into what we're talking about right now. Um, and so one thing that I'm seeing across a lot of our just top performing crushing brands right now is they have a, like a standard SKU version of a product. And then they offer like a almost perfect or like something about it is slightly imperfect, you know, not a hundred percent version of that product at like a $20 discount, a $30 discount. And it's, I have no idea what's going on in the back end as they're looking at like their inventory and their planning. And like, I don't know if this is all psychological, if it's real. Um, cause I haven't like purchased these items to compare, but it's a very common trend that I'm seeing. Um, and so what's really interesting is like when you are able to present, like I have this one, like both of these products are kind of expensive, right? They're like a hundred dollars plus, but I'm going to advertise so that you can see the value and then I'm going to give you an alternative or something feels like you're getting some sort of like discount off of this really amazing thing. And it's just almost perfect. And you probably won't notice the difference. Like, I think that's a really powerful pricing strategy that we're seeing right now, because um, as folks are thinking about how and where they want to spend their money, it's like really easy to psychologically justify for yourself. Like, well, if I get the one that's like almost perfect, like, you know, it's not that bad. Right. 
Um, and I think that is such a cool thing that I'm, I'm starting to see people do regularly now. Yeah. Um, without giving anybody up, could you come up with an example of what you mean by that? Like, yeah, I'm actually this one. I'm happy. One of these I'm, I'm happy to share because, um, they're happy to share too. But if you aren't familiar with Portland leather goods, um, they are a client of ours. Um, I even told them I was going to shout them out, but they make amazing, amazing leather products, bags and shoes and all kinds of accessories. Um, and they have this almost perfect page, um, which I think is really just like little nicks or little dings because they have a mm. lot of like handmade, um, items. And so they had sent us for, um, a project that we did with triple whale, this DDC after dark thing, which was a whole nother conversation, but they sent us yeah. a ton of bags. Um, and some of which, I mean, they really balled out. So shout out Portland leather, but they sent us some of the items that were listed as almost perfect. And I wouldn't have noticed unless I was checking stuff off on the packing slip, making sure we got all our boxes in. Um, I mean, it looks gorgeous to me, but they offer it at like a slight discount and, um, crushes for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an interesting idea. Like, awesome tactic, really good takeaway. Uh, question, question. We know this dude. Um, uh, Felix asking, is Triple Whale seeing an overall decline in in ad spend on Meta twenty 2020 twenty versus twenty one versus twenty two versus twenty two? Yep, like hands down, yes. Um, like Q three was crazy. Uh, Q three of twenty twenty one was crazy. So people were like spending more at lower efficiency because we were all trying to figure out what was going on. And then in 2022, I think people woke up and were like, okay, no mas, like I need to start diversifying spend. So where I'm seeing that spend being pulled from Facebook, there is tremendous investment in um, Google ads right now. I've never seen people spending as much on, on Google ads and e-com as I'm seeing right now. It's crazy. Like they're just scaling it as hard as they can. Um, TikTok, um, People are going back to Pinterest. Like, there was a period of time where I, I was honestly worried, like what's going to happen with Pinterest? Cause I kind of love it as a consumer. Um, an ad spend was being pulled and, um, it's slowly, slowly scaling back up. Um, so I think this year's Pinterest spend is like slightly more than last year so far. And um, we're at October, so it'll probably be like marginally more. Um, but I would say, yeah, Google and TikTok are like the biggest, the biggest investments. And then, yeah better email and sms is a huge investment yeah they're on the, they're on google so take google and tiktok on uptrends um i mean in in is is facebook still the predominant spend channel i guess that's my follow-up yes. question yeah. yes but it's, the it's easiest because um it's because one it's the one that people feel most comfortable with even when they feel uncomfortable with it and mm -hmm. two um, the brands that have been running, this is like my soapbox, the brands that have been running on Facebook for, let's say like five years. Um, if you think about it, let's say 40 people remained, um, opted in to app tracking, like after iOS 14, the data set of lookalike customers, for lack of a better word, if you have, you know, five years of data and you've been crushing it for five years, that 40% is going to be a lot more than a small to medium sized brand or a, a younger brand on Facebook. So, um, they're able to experience less volatility. Like they just have better in-platform data to work with. Um, so it's, it's mostly the smaller to medium sized brands, like under the 10 mil a year that are heavy, heavy on diversification right now. Yeah. I'd say this, I'd see this, I've seen the same thing. Like th those are the ones that I've seen outspending Facebook on Google. Like their Google mix is, is higher. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Legacy brands that have scaled Facebook to millions you know 
in a month, like they're still there. And th- th- it actually still kind of works for them too, you know, like not as mm-hmm. good, but it still works. Yeah. Cool. So, so moving into, and, and I know that kind of one of the things we asked you to do is, okay, like pull some of the fastest growing and highest profit um, brands of, you know, right now, 2022 um, and look at, look across trends here. So um, covering, we've covered acquisition a little bit, covered pricing a little bit. Um, let's get into retention. I know you've mentioned email SMS a couple times here. Like what is the trend that you're seeing in, t- in retention that is different year over year? Yeah. So um, contextually, I worked in-house at brands. So I didn't have an understanding besides what how that in-house brand was performing plus or minus my efforts. Like what the break of what you want, you know, your new customer rev versus your returning customer rev to be. But even in looking at our, like some of our top performing brands right now, it's almost a 50-50 split. So their sales are like half retention, half new acquisition. Um, I've worked at a lot of brands before where it was like 70-30, like it was churn and burn, like let's just be acquiring. But because money is working a little bit differently, these ad pl- platforms are working a little bit differently right now. I think retention has been like one of the sexiest topics for a lot of e-com brands in 2022, just figuring out how to make your money go longer, thinking about maxing out that LTV. Um, and so things that I'm seeing people do to make that work. Um, one of the craziest things I'm seeing is just like grassroots community efforts. So even if it's um, having a Facebook group of your customers, um, or having a really active, like organic TikTok presence and, uh, getting people to like post about your product, things like that. Um, those have been starting a podcast, maybe starting a podcast, working on content marketing, like the amount of like sponsoring a podcast, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, even just like the amount of beauty brands that I'm seeing that are going hard on like content marketing right now. It used to be like, we saw lipstick and you can like look at our Instagram page. Now it's like, here, all of, here's all this like detailed YouTube content where we show you how to do your makeup perfectly, all this stuff. There's just so much investment in, in education and community initiatives to keep folks retained. Um, and then I think one thing that a lot of people have learned quickly this year is customers are getting, they're starting to get sick of advertising because it's everywhere. It's inescapable at this point. And we all know what an ad feels like. And so the brands that are like doing that really aggressive, like every day you get an email with a discount or some sort of offer, whatever, um, that's just not working anymore. Like it's brutal. And so, and it's also annoying as a customer. Um, and so we're seeing a huge lift for brands that are working to optimize, um, email and SMS for personalization. So, um, specific SMS flows on like how to use that lipstick you just bought, or, um, here are products that you might like based on what you bought, just like smart personalization opportunities and education opportunities. Those are huge for our attention right now. Felix back again, the champ of engagement on this one so far. Yes, Facebook they are, groups. Felix. Yeah. <laughs> You're still, still, still seeing brands use Facebook groups. And then the one I have a question on is like, I feel like, you know, there was a minute there where, where people were really hot on the idea of like, oh, an app, like, you know, launch an app for your store. But then it kind of got to this thing where it's like, well, it's not really a value add. It's just like your store on an app so that you can send people push notifications. Um, but I think there's like a lot on the table there, especially if you're going to invest into content marketing. So that's another thing I'm wondering if you're seeing is like, you know, or they're a refocus into Facebook groups or, or apps or things like that. 
Yeah, it depends on your demo. So like if you're targeting the moms and the dads of the world, uh, Facebook groups work. Um, if you are targeting, I would say like the Gen Z's, the youngins, um, I see that apps work really well um, for that content. So um, I recently downloaded an app. They're not a client of ours, but it's called Shop Thing. And they buy and resell like designer, like Gucci handbags and things like that um, at a discount that are out of season or from last year's collection. Um, and they do their whole app is you can't shop online, but their whole app is, um, like live. It's like almost like Instagram stories of people like trying on the product, showing it, whatever they're crushing it. Um, and so I think that the app thing, it's like, it's providing this like next gen level of content where maybe you can have like an AR visualization of a product, um, in a room, if it's furniture or, um, virtual try-ons for clothing and makeup. Um, live, live streaming and live shopping is getting like very popular, very fast. Um, and so I think that's a huge opportunity for an app. I don't think the push notifications, like, I don't know, prove me wrong by all means, but I've never gotten a push notification and thought like, okay, I need to buy that unless it's like <laughs> something is literally 50 to 70% off that I have my eye on. Right. Or, or if it's like, uh, you know, if you buy on like Nike drops or something like yeah. that. Then, yeah, yeah you do, but sure. but I mean I, that's almost to the level where people like know it's coming. You don't need a push notification there, like yeah, you know. Um, but if you're somewhere in between there, you know. Um, but yeah, I hear you. I think it's just. I mean, maybe it's another pe- reason to w- or another way to get in front of people. Um, so again, looking through macro trends, we're talking about acquisition, retention, pricing. Um, I think that one of the big things that has emerged like this year is maybe in the last year, <laughs> I talked to very few brands that did any kind of cohort analysis mm. on, on their customer lifetime values, mm. you know, take it back 13 months. And they're like, what <laughs> is that? Um, right. And obviously triple whale has like really good layouts on, on cohort analysis and stuff. My like favorite that. page in the entire right, app. Mine as well. Mine page. as well. You can break it down by product, like so many things. Right. Um, but, yeah. uh, I think that I think that's when, what's been interesting is like you know I don't know not to, not to necessarily like call anyone out but like let's just say like man eh, what do I got on my desk here I don't know if I bought this light to podcast right uh, like what, what's your lifetime value on that and I'm not gonna buy more like I don't really need that many more lights like do you have other podcasting uh, and and uh, I th- I want to call out like a certain category and that is essentially like especially like men's accessories. So like wallets, watches, that kind of stuff that really were a lot of them were like DTC darlings. Um, but it's like not that easy to increase your customer lifetime value in that space. Cause if you sell people like a really great wallet, like, you know, they don't need any more as a wallet. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they might refer people to you, which is like maybe a whole other conversation, but, um, I am interested in like brands like that or others because I, I think a lot of those kinds of brands are like how do we drop more products right like how do we so they're thinking about SKU management and they're thinking about how do we drop more products other kinds of brands have tons and tons and tons of SKUs and they're trying to think about like what SKUs should we focus on should we narrow down are we seeing more brands expanding in more SKUs during the you know quote-unquote war time of e-commerce or are we seeing more brands like narrow into fewer SKUs or is there some other SKU management kind of strategy or tactic that you're seeing a lot of it's really interesting there is like a large i'm just thinking right now like there's a large bulk of brands that are doing very well 
with a small SKU set. So like one that comes to mind is Huron, uh, like men's care. They have like a couple different fragrances, like they have two different fragrances, but they make like shampoo, conditioner, body wash, deodorant. And I think that they're like releasing one or two more things this year, but like they've kept it pretty slim. Um, and then you have brands that are like some of our biggest brands, this blows my mind are like screen print t-shirt brands. Um, like they're literally taking like a Bella and canvas comfort colors, t-shirt, they're screen printing a design on it that, you know, they got made somewhere. Um, and they're selling those babies like hotcakes for $35. Uh, but those are very quick turnover skews, right? So it's like, we sell it until people start to lose interest. Hopefully we didn't buy too much. And then we, we make the next one. Um, I think, you know, a conversation that I have a lot with the team at Triple Whale and people think that we're like crazy innovative for is uh, this concept of product market fit. So like there's this sentiment that a lot of people, you know, they have an idea for a product, they want to launch it and then they go find PMF. Like, okay, now it's time mm -hmm. to find PMF because I wanted to build a candle company, but I didn't really like plan for that in advance. The way that Triple Whale rolls out new features and prioritizes our tech pipeline is by making sure that we have statistically significant interest in that thing from our existing customer base before we build it to make sure that enough people are going to use it to make our time worth it. And e-com brands can apply this principle too. I think this is one that Obvi does an incredible job at. They have a bunch of different SKUs, a bunch of different flavors of their collagen, their gummies, their whatever. And um, they, they literally let people like vote and test on flavors or suggest flavors and let people vote and test on them before they go out and do the research and build it. Um, there's no reason to stop you from doing that. So if you, you need to do like a flavor, a color diversification, whatever, that's an easy way to, to make sure you have the PMF before you order inventory. Um, what I am seeing though, is I'm seeing a lot of brands that started as like, we were a women's only brand. And then now they're like non-specific. Um, or like we did men's care and now we do everyone's care. Um, and so I think it's, it's almost more so like, we need to expand because, you know, aggressively niche targeting XYZ has not been working for us in 2022. And so now we're, we need to look beyond that and kind of expand our web of customers. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that I, I, it's a tough one, right? So I guess my, my follow-up question there is from like SKU expansion and these kinds of strategies. Um, have you actually seen like like brands actually really be able to significantly lift their LTVs because I, I kind of have this working theory and that maybe this is just me being like, I don't know, negative or pessimistic or something like that. But I kind of have this working theory that like if your brand and the kind of customer that you get with your brand is just like not really that conducive to lifetime values, then there's not like a ton you can do to make that happen. Right. So like if you sell a consumable, then if it really, really changes people's lives, then it's going to have lifetime value. Right. If you sell apparel and people love it, it's going to have good lifetime value. Uh, but if you sell wallets, watches, things like that, and it's just like, you know, I don't know, I'm guess I'm wondering like, uh, it, should people, I don't know, you, you should probably just say yes. So people can like believe, uh, <laughs> So like, like does, have you actually seen the SKU expansion or any SKU management strategies like really truly make impact on lifetime value or maybe have they made impact somewhere else? Yes, I have. Um, but they, I think one mistake that a lot of brands make is they start pumping out more SKUs before they have brand advocates of their like hero initial SKUs. So like you need to really have enough people that are addicted to 
your product or addicted to your brand or believe that it's so high quality that they're going to purchase from you again before you start spending money on buying more inventory and like all of the work that comes with that. And so like the smartest brands that I know ran with, you know, five to 10 SKUs for years before expanding because they needed to build up that brand awareness and advocacy and relationship with customers to say like, you know, we have a really, really, really good, really strong product. However, I think there will always be industries that are not conducive to this. Like how often do you really buy new furniture for your house? If you're above the age of 30, 35, like very infrequently, um, think about anything for like the wedding industry. That's going to be like a one-time thing for you. Right. So there are always going to be industries where it doesn't make sense. I think if you are in consumables, if you are in actual apparel, um, like wearable apparel, or if you're in something that like is an accessory that you can have thousands of like jewelry or bags, like that's where skew variation makes sense. But otherwise, I don't know, go hard and fast on what you have, like until you, you really feel like you've tapped out somehow. So, so what do you say? Like, so I think that essentially what happens when we are talking about skew expansion with a brand is usually <clears throat> it, it just isn't working on the acquisition side. And and we're pretty far past the point of diminishing returns in terms of like, let's test more creative, right? And and uh, Chase, if he's still watching, if Pencil's still watching, then they're going to be like, we'll get Pencil. Uh, there you go, a little little extra plug. Get Pencil, you can test even more creative. You can find something that works. Um, and and that's like, you know, maybe, uh, but it's it just, it's not necessarily that it's like not, not working, like, oh, we're losing money. It's more like, it's just not like we're not really making any profit and we don't really have LTV. So like, let's get into SKU expansion so that we can yeah. create some kind of retention revenue. Um, but, but yeah, like, you know, but they're not in that, like, you know, Ridge wallet point. Like I, I'm calling out Ridge wallet because they just launched a watch. Right. Um, it's going to work for them. Right. They're big. They've got a lot of customers, a lot of like big advocates, like you're saying, right? Like that's going to work. They're going to, that's going to be a, a good revenue driver for them. Um, but if you're not, if you're one tenth of the size and, you know, only one year old or two years old or two and a half years old or something like that, what are you seeing those brands do where it's like we're kind of stuck in this in between zone where we can't really make our current SKUs work very well? And we're, I mean, is it just slog along or what? I will Maybe say, you ready for that. Yeah. No, no, no. I will give you a experiential data point, which is that I've worked for multiple companies that have been in that position and they thought that the answer was SKU expansion. And it was not. Right. Um, it just, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's so just, yeah. I super agree. Cause then you're like spread thing. You got all these products, you know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. So I'm with you. Um, but <sighs> there are just too many freaking people in this world for you to tell me that you ran out. <laughs> like really like you really think that you tapped every single person that you could possibly tap to sell your existing SKUs in what the one two three years that you've been on market that you're really completely out of options and you have to expand SKUs I don't know I'm not sold um but again it just it it varies so much based on what your product is because like if you literally are only selling leather wallets once everybody and they're everybody has their own and they bought their dad one like you you might have to go into skew expansion because like that only goes so far yeah, well yeah and let, let me can i push back a little bit here because yeah, uh hey, yes i think you're right no and and this is because i hear this same argument from brand owners of like i have not tapped my market you know what i mean like wallets is a however many billion dollar industry i'm not even going to guess at it right it's a lot 
uh, watches is however many billion dollar industry. It's a lot. Like I've only sold this much. Like I'm not, I'm not even a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of tapping my market. And I'm like, that's, that's fair. Uh, but we're not talking about the entire market of people who buys wallets or watches. We're talking about the market of people who will buy a wallet or watch online at the efficiency that you yeah. need in order to make your unit economics work, right? And and there is a lot of people out there advertising that don't need your unit economics efficiencies or that are more yeah. legacy and are selling way more of these, you know, so already we're, we're fractioning the market by saying online and we're fractioning it again by saying that will work with your unit economics, right? And so, um, I, and, but yes, you're right. Like, you know, maybe instead of, for if you're a brand like that and you're just not conducive to LTD, Maybe the move isn't necessarily SKU expansion. Maybe it's distribution expansion, or maybe yeah. it is. Maybe That's it is right. like let's get in investing in like organic content, launching mm -hmm. our own podcast, launching our own YouTube channel, sponsoring podcasts. <clears throat> um, you know that Are you kind guys of thing. Like broke? Are we okay? What? Yeah. No. Give us money, please. Help me, I'm Paul. No. <laughs> no, but you know what I will say, John, is you might have just made an argument for like retail. <laughs> right. Like, well, I do that a lot, actually. I do that yeah. a lot. <laughs> Cause like, really, I, I, I agree with you. And, and to be fair, I, I didn't, I didn't speak well. Like I agree. Like there are only going to be so many people in the world that you're going to be able to reach. They're going to buy your product, your price, whatever that buy online. Um, but if you are like, if you are in that level of a rock and a hard place position, then it's like, okay, then who isn't this? The people who don't buy online. Okay. Let's try that. You yeah. know? So it's like, you got to make the moves based on your market. Yeah. Or, or the people who aren't going to buy from an ad, right? Yeah. Like the people who are like, you know, they, if they will buy online, they felt like Casey, Casey won't buy stuff from an ad. He just went off screen. So I can't even like, but he's not, he's not going to buy nothing from an ad. Like he will buy something that like, and I, and I am kind of tongue in cheek saying sponsor podcast, but he's a podcast listener. If somebody sponsors if a brand sponsors, one of his podcasts, uh, and he gets a read from one of the hosts that he's like, Oh, they actually seem like they use that. Like he'll be yeah. able to tell and he'll buy that. Right. Like that's, uh, that's just, it's a, it's a like direct line for him. Right. And there's all kinds of people like that. Like my wife, she doesn't really buy stuff. She is like the classic, like she gets tons of e-commerce ads, but usually she buys stuff that like, she's got, you know, five or six IG people or YouTubers that she like really, really follows. Mm -hmm. And anytime they launch merch, anytime, like she buys that. Right. Like, uh, so that, I mean, getting into, you know, becoming a media company or getting into distribution, distribution is probably easier of the two. Yeah. yeah you, you mentioned it already, Alexa, how, um, a lot more brands, you know, apparel brands, whatever brands are trying to dive deeper into content marketing, things like that, things that are a little bit more engaging to consumers. I mean, shamelessly speaking, uh, not that long ago, John and I would say kind of typically for apparel brands, you know, there's not that much you can do kind of just put the stuff in front of them. And if they like it they'll click on it and they might buy it. And, you know, if not, put something else in front of them. If they like it, they might buy it. I'm seeing a, a shift in clients we work with, um, apparel brands, you know, where we go, oh, they, they all of a sudden, they're they're going deeper into content. They're, they are doing the TikTok angle a little bit more. They might want to start a podcast, things like that. Um, I think we're seeing that pretty universally. At least there's a, a desire to want to do that as those brands, because I think they just realize they might be missing out on that community building um, essence yeah. that they could have. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that, um, you guys asked me, like what I've kind of been doing on like the speaking and pod circuit this year, but one of the things that I've been doing a lot of, uh, like contributed content and webinars on is, um, marketing to Gen Z 
And there has been so much consumer psychology research to support that. First of all, Gen Z right now has like a, a combined spending potential of like 360 billion or something globally. Like it's pretty significant, even though they're still young. Um, yeah. But oh, there's a lot of research. Pardon? They're not that young anymore. Are you well, Gen Z? No, I'm You're not. Like but not. it goes it goes from 25 to. 12 or something. Yeah, 25 so is not that yet. 25 is like you're out of college and you have a job for a few years now. Well, we're right. But I'm saying if you're like, I agree, but yeah. the research that has been done on the entire cohort, the entire generation. So yeah. let's say 13 and up maybe are the people who are because 13, you're probably asking your parents, like, can I have $25 to buy this or whatever? Right. Um, shows that this whole generation is really, really, really obsessed with like connection to brand stories, connection to quality of product, um, like mission things, not so much like sustainability. Like I'm going to convert because it's sustainable, but like, I want to feel good purchasing from this brand. Um, they're very interested in purchasing from small, small businesses or like smaller e-com brands as opposed to like big box brands. So like, yeah. you know, a, a Huron deodorant versus an old spice. Um, and so like the, the untapped resource there is finding ways to connect with them. If it's TikTok organic, um, if it's making YouTube content, whatever, um, catering to that kind of like next generation of how they want to approach and encounter brands and learn about products. Cause we just don't have the research to support that with the exception of like the 23 to 25 year olds, like the old school style of paid social advertising is working with them. Like they are going way deeper in with brands before converting, which is really mm -hmm. interesting. Like they're research driven. So we've got another comment here from, uh, from good old Felix He's saying, speaking of creative, our brands testing more assets now that things aren't as easy to sell through paid ads. Um, we've done a pretty deep dive recently into kind of creative testing. We have the ultimate guide to creative testing. Go back and watch that episode. Uh, you know, but also, Alexa, I'm curious to see if you have any uh, perspective on this that you'd like to share. Yeah. Turnover on TikTok creative testing is fast. Um, not so much on Facebook like it used to be. And, um, one of the trends that I was going to call to mind is I scoped through 10, 15 of our top performing fastest growing brands. If you look at their campaign structures, um, and, and look at their ad creative, it's almost entirely static product photography. Um, it's like beautiful high res statics with some text overlays. Um, and so sometimes they're doing a little bit of optimization on like which of the three statics that are, you know, are going to be top performing or which of the three copy overlays, like the power quotes are going to perform best. But Facebook has definitely, people have simplified their creative testing. I think co because costs are much higher there now. Um, and then TikTok is like crazy creative testing land, like, like bonkers because costs are yeah. lower. Absolutely. That's that's the misconception that we deal with all the time on the agency side is that, you know, brands think that they need to be testing more and that'll make them more efficient, which in a certain view, it's true, but not initially, not like, hey, these new creators we're rolling out are guaranteed to be the new best thing in the ad accounts. Which mm -hmm. I, I was surprised that a lot of brands, they think that way, you know, and it's like, yeah. hey, you have these proven winners. When things get tough, you kind of need to lead, lead, lean more into the uh, the proven winners, maybe dial down testing a little bit. But um, you're absolutely right. Uh, everything we've seen on TikTok supports what you're saying. Just crazy turnover on ads. Uh, you know, trends live and die in a matter of weeks or days even. Um, yeah. So things are just kind of popping one second and then no more popping. You know, where'd, where'd the pop go? 
Where'd the pop go? Where to pop? No more pop. Where is it? It's gone. Uh, actually, I think you have you have some insight into this too. One of the other questions we get asked a lot from clients um, is like, hey, what should we be doing with TikTok? Like, is TikTok viable for us essentially is what they're asking. And um, yeah, I mean, would you say like relative to let's say Facebook, what do you think that that looks like? Is maybe like a percentage or just a, a gut feeling, whatever, however answer you can you can give to us here uh, is how viable is TikTok for your average e-commerce brand, I guess. Right. Is, is there like a, Hey, if this is you, it's not viable. Like in your opinion, I have my own, right. But like, if this is you, it's not viable. If this is you, here's how you utilize it. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like demo. So if your people are majority 35, 30 and older, probably not a huge hmm investment for you right now just like when we look at platform usage and who's on it um i think it's like the the stat that i pulled the other day from like business insider or something was like uh the average tiktok user is spending like five hours looking at content a day but they are teens to like 20 early 20s 20 20 23 ish maybe um so like that is a prime opportunity if you're in that demo for tiktok if you're not stick stick with where those people live um which could be facebook it could be display following them around like you'll you got to know based on your vertical the other thing for me that's really critical is if your product is not visually interesting in any possible way i.e it is not a consumable that someone can eat and appear delighted or it doesn't it's not i call it goopy but like if your beauty or skincare isn't goopy enough to create some sort of like interesting visual um things like that like it's just not going to perform on tiktok because tiktok is this like very sensory oriented platform yeah it's got to be demonstrable really and th those yeah. are just to reiterate what we've said on past episodes those the two things that i've always said to, to brands is exactly what you said before you know you need a capacity to create a lot of creatives so that you're not just running out of creatives on the fly while you're on TikTok. And also it's it's kind of the same as how much should you be testing even on Facebook? It's just the opportunity cost of, you know, if we focus on TikTok, are we sacrificing efficiency on a different platform? So um, I would recommend to brands to always look at it through that lens. Don't don't starve your stallions to feed your colts or whatever the whatever yeah, that feed your ponies. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and that's that's kind of how I uh, I think it's like if I, my, my reco on TikTok is always just like, okay, well, here's how we, here's the best way to operate TikTok, in my opinion, as a business owner, media buyer, whatever, have a test budget, a daily test budget. Here's how much we spend per day to just see if this, see if we can find something that hits and basically just always spend that. And then if something hits, scale it as fast as you can. And, it's, you know, and then when it dies, which it will quickly, then you're back down and you're back at your test budget. Uh, if that sounds like a, a cycle that like doesn't seem worth it to you, then TikTok probably isn't for you because that's like that's just the best way to manage TikTok from a brand perspective. Um, now the test budget could be whatever, right? Like you could say, hey, you know, there there are ancillary benefits of TikTok, like new people to site that I can retarget, new people on the email list, that kind of stuff. So our test budget is going to be pretty high, so that we can just keep plenty of traffic flowing from TikTok that's fine, right? Then it might be more worth it, right? You can you can move more creative tests through more quickly. Um, but if it's like, oh man, that's a lot of resource just to like maybe scale once every couple months or something, 
then uh yeah not even mentioning snapchat anymore yeah i was actually gonna ask about snapchat because you mm -mm. you literally mentioned every other traffic platform so background casey and myself and felix um the agency that we had before it was acquired was uh like I think we're, we're kind of like known for Snapchat. Like we ran Snap for like Snow and Lady Boss and like some of these really big brands. Um, and like we scaled, I think we scaled Snow to like 30 to 50K a day for like months, like months. Um, and Lady Boss, we scaled up a lot too. Like it was a pretty good platform for a minute. And then I feel like it just did not survive iOS. Like what are you seeing in terms of spend mix? Yeah, I wish I pulled the data for you. I thought about doing it, but then I didn't want to roast Snapchat. Uh, bleak, 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 bleak. Like, like half of Pinterest spend, and that's saying something. Um, I, I mean, I probably could pull it. Like, I could pull up my GDS, but it's it's really bleak. Um, God bless him. I wish him the best. I'm gonna say something that sounds problematic, but I I don't mean it this way. I have found a correlation between uh, brands that influence with rappers, um, and brands that perform well on Snapchat. I don't know what it means. I don't know if there's actually like causation. I don't know if it's a demographic overlap because in my brain, Snapchat is mostly like teeny boppers who are using it to send secret messages that their parents can't read. Like that's my, <laughs> that's my perception of Snapchat right now. Like, is that I don't know. Really? I don't know. What that's, that's interesting because I always thought it was like, you know, I'm, I'm here 32 years old. I always figured it was like I missed the window by a little bit. It seemed like it was really popular uh, kind of a few years before, like with the crowd a little bit older than me when they were like teens, basically. And they've yeah. kind of adopted it. And it's kind of grown with them, kind of like Mr. Feeney did in Boy Meets World, how he was the teacher every year. Like, I think that's <laughs> kind of yeah. my Snapchat. It was like, is, no. is he doing okay? Are you guys getting held back? Like, what's going on? <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, Felix no, is still on it, by the way. Felix is the power user. He's Felix. a Snapchat power user. Felix, power we user. love you. Um, <laughs> no, I think what, I mean, my awareness of the usage right now is um, basically when Instagram stories came out, it killed Snapchat. <laughs> that's like the TLDR on that one. Um, because it was, and now like be real, which is really interesting. Be real is trying to kill Instagram. Uh, did I say Instagram reels? I mean, Instagram stories, but be real mm -hmm. is trying to kill Instagram stories. That's a whole separate conversation. That's a whole nother soapbox I'd love to get on. Um, but the, they just didn't have like unique enough features. And so now the, their usage is really heavily based in like their, their messaging features because they disappear, um, which is sketchy. So, yeah. Definitely. I mean, so you mentioned us trying to organize the show before we hopped on here together. And, you know, we've, we've hit on some topics. And then we had a little chunk of things you wanted to discuss that we couldn't exactly figure out how to how, where to place it. So we kind of just called it things you might not be considering uh, or you might not have considered already. Um, I don't think you even clued us into what it was going to be. So I'm very no. interested here in what you have to say. We're just ready. OK, one. Um if anyone is live watching this or watches it later, please leave a comment if you are actively using direct mail and tell me how it's going for you. The reason why I want to know, because people have told me um, with their words that it's doing incredibly well for their brands, but direct mail doesn't populate into triple whale. So I can't fact check their data. <laughs> right. But there is a massive resurgence in direct mail right now. And in fact, shout out to Kuru Footwear, Kuru Shoes, an amazing shoe company. Sean, we love you. Yeah. Um, 
They sent out a catalog this year. They are a D to C e-com brand that sent me a glossy catalog and I damn sure purchased some shoes after looking at that because there was something nostalgic and amazing about yeah. getting a catalog for the first time in like seven years, five years. Um, it, so I'm bullish on this. And it's like, okay, so, so I think there's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go, move, go into speculating speculation series okay. city here. Uh, we're in an age group. So, so millennials are now a pretty big buying demographic and they, in their adult life, in their places that they live currently have not received catalogs, right? Yep. Like that just, we haven't. Um, and, uh, but they did when they were kids. Like I remember I used to, what was the skate? Like there was like a skateboard one. I used to CSI. I think. Um, I used to shop in that. Like I'd, I'd circle the stuff I want. I never got it. My mom never got me it. Oh, I circled it too with like a marker. Yeah, I would circle it like mom, mom, this right here, you yeah. know, and then she wouldn't buy it. And I'd be like, what are you even doing? What are you even doing in there? I don't even know what you're doing in there. Um, but yeah, so no, it is. It's, it's a, it's an interesting play to like, you know, catalogs, direct mail. Um, so I have a lot of experience with direct mail. A lot is a weird way to put it. I haven't necessarily done it for direct to consumer, but I've done a lot of direct mail in, a, I guess, a past life and my and kind of my like my first agency experience. Um, and it, it like on here's my here's my like take on it. Like things like a catalog or like an enveloped piece work really well. Yes, um, and like because it's like oh, what is this? Like, I'm going to open it and, you know, look yep. at it and stuff like that. A flat, what's called a flat mailer probably works okay with customers. You know, so if you're sending to a customer list, like maybe a flat mailer you can get away with. Um, but if you're sending to prospects, if you're buying a mailing list of like past buyers of other fitness brands or things like that, and that you think is going to be it. So that's the other thing is like a good mailing list, right? Like the targeting matters again, which is kind of fun as a marketer to like, actually like have another level lever to optimize with um like buying a good mailing list and then hitting you know like um, an enveloped piece it's more expensive to send an enveloped piece or sending a catalog or a uh, package or something like that the other thing that i think works really well from a mail standpoint is if there's like key partnerships you think would be helpful for you like if you're like oh i want to do a brand collab with this brand mm -hmm. um you know target 50 to 100 brands and send them like certified mail <laughs> telling them that you want to partner with them and then like send them a package afterward of your product, like stuff that they like can't deny. Like they had to sign for it. If I think there's a, a way you can send it like registered certified where it's like literally that person has to sign for it. Like someone else at the office, the set, like they can't sign for it. It's gotta be that person. Um, so it's like, they'll get your message. You know what I mean? If somebody's like, no, no, you got to sign for it. And it's gotta be you. They're gonna be like, okay, well, what does this say? Um, probably not going to work if you send it to like a hundred thousand people or it's going to be really expensive, but yeah. uh, that's another one, like key partnerships or people who's like, you know, if I want to get into retail or if I want distribution somehow um, targeting people who can help distribute. I can't, I can't let you bring up somebody who's been on our show without directing people who might be watching to that episode. Uh, Sean, from Kuru is a he's a goat. Uh, go watch that yes. episode in our How to Build a Brand series, guys. I think he might have been our first How to Build a Brand guest, John. Actually, love him. Um, yeah. And you mentioned like Triple Whale. One of its, you know, one of the main reasons people are in love with it right now is because it has kind of unscrambled your mind um, from all the iOS, you know, nightmare that that everybody was dealing with. Kind of helps you adopt that MER mindset. Kuru Footwear was one of the first examples that we talked to on this show where they were largely unaffected because they already kind of had adopted that mindset. Yeah. So lots of valuable little nuggets in that episode for anybody who wants to go check that out. 
Cool. Dude. What other what other thing? Sorry, go ahead. Let's I was see. gonna say Sean's Sean's brain is so friggin' big. Like if you ever get the chance to hang out with him, chat with him, whatever. His head is normal size, but his brain is enormous brain, in there. Yeah. He's just <laughs> so, using more of it, you know. Yeah. He's using it's less it. like adding from brain to skull. Like yeah, maybe. It's just like a, not as much me, fluid. Like, yeah. When he tells me I said something smart every once in a while, which like periodically comes out of my brain somehow, I'm like, yeah. oh my God, thank you. It's like if you say enough stuff, you know what I yeah. mean? Like some of it's going to be smart. Yeah. If you want to hear Alexa say more smart stuff, go to uh, Creative Palooza, uh, November yeah. 2nd and 3rd, Austin, Texas. Are you going to speak? Like, are you going to be one of the speakers? No, but I think I'm going to help moderate some like multi-speaker talks because yeah, I want to. So, so there's a, a event series that I have spoken at multiple times that like they, I would say that quality stepped up big time when instead of having like some of the, the sponsored speakers like speak, they had them like host panels or like, and then it was moderated. Like, yeah, th those are great. I would highly recommend you do that. Um, that was something we could have said off camera, but uh, anyway, we're an hour in. So if you're watching that, like good on you. We're in uh, deep. We're in yeah. deep. What are some other e-commerce trends uh, that you can you may verify? Not have considered. Yeah, uh, you may not have considered. Are we just gonna keep going? Like I thought, if is this you, like an hour long? When no, we yeah, we'll, we'll be out. We'll be out soon. I'm just wondering if you got anything no, I have else more. you want to bring up. Yeah, we're getting more. everything we can out of you today. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, particularly if you have a younger audience, um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. And you have a lot of SKUs, particularly if you have inventory that you can't get rid of that you want to make close close to break even if not money on honestly do a mystery box situation do a mm -hmm. like mystery offer this is a hill that i will die on i have so many friends <laughs> who like who leverage this and it gets them and not only does it get them out of holes but it makes customers really excited particularly if you do it as like a drop or a seasonal option um the like mystery bundling kind of thing oh god people love it and it's it's that same concept that made like fab fit fun boxes work where you yeah. like pay a flat rate and you just get a bunch of shit in a box like there's even like a whole industry now of websites where you could go and buy like a box of random amazon returns and like half the time it's like stuff for a hamster that you don't even have yeah i don't even have a hamster but it was a great deal it's a really good deal let me tell you something i'm gonna be like i'm gonna get my old man on here casey was advocating for the mystery box or mystery gift or free mystery gift with order type of offer back when you were singing Sam Smith with your acapella group. I thought we weren't going to talk about that. <laughs> well, I'm just, everybody go look it up. Alexa. Do not. Acapella uh, college, and she's really good. <laughs> we can't edit yeah, out no, on live streams. Absolutely. I, that's why I've said it. Uh, oh, God. That's so, so yeah, absolutely. The mystery box, mystery gifts, but it, and it does a thing where, yeah, it helps you manage your inventory. Right. So it's like, yeah. I'm not saying put all your, crap stuff that nobody wants in there i'm hoping hopefully you just have a brand that doesn't have those things but i'm not saying selling saying put all your undersellers in there um but you can put some of your undersellers in there right like you yeah. can put some stuff that you're heavy on inventory on and then some stuff that will delight people and they're like oh my gosh i can't believe i got that in there like that's like a really good product yeah. um and you can Particularly balance it out weird gives you so much control yeah so, i would say for like for apparel like if you don't sell enough of two xls or something like it's a good opportunity but to john's point like don't put a bunch of junk stuff in there to, that nobody liked because that will crush your retention so if those are your already your customers that are leveraging the offer you're gonna get rocked um and the last the 
one of the other things that I was going to bring up either earlier in this section on retention um, is a lot of consumer research right now showing that because of the two-day shipping times of Amazon and basically how like Amazon and these food delivery apps will basically just give you like 100% refund um, if you are even the slightest bit unhappy, the consumer expectation for customer service support is like, like basically you should be responding before they even thought to email you yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like one of the best ways that you can actually have really strong retention and brand advocacy is to have lightning speed SLAs um, on the like response times for your CX tickets, extraordinary customer support, like above and beyond customer support. If you can finagle it, that is like a huge lever to maximizing uh, LTV. Gotta love that LTV, right? Yeah, um, I was gonna say too. I mean, if you are one of those people who just throws your shit in a box, I mean, if people are unhappy with one bad product, if you send them six bad products, <laughs> they're gonna be the more unhappy. Piss them off six. Not going well. Like, that's like <laughs> you, you don't want. You know what's not gonna feel great is if like you get a customer support ticket and they're just like, "I want to send back this mystery box just because it sucks and I don't like it." Like final sale, baby. No, yeah. No. Nope. No. <laughs> no broken products it just is stupid and it wasn't worth the money like that is not what you want uh cool so yes speaking of final say as is tradition on modern commerce um we will set you up alexa for the parting shot tldr and remember the title of the episode is oh, what is it it's like mark oh marketing strategy marketing strategies and tactics of the fastest growing and high, highest profit brands right now uh tldr give us give us the if you don't watch anything else you don't learn anything else from this learn this okay one diversify your ad spend don't sleep on google at least give tiktok a shot if it makes sense uh damn what else do we talk about <laughs> so much clearly nothing. by the way anybody who didn't see the whole episode go back to the beginning and just rewatch this thing because it's this been basically a bazooka of knowledge right into your face the whole time so yeah yeah, yeah. This was an impossible I, TR, TLDR. You didn't know. I, you want me to take a shot at it? Yeah, go for it, John. Please I mean, I've me done out. more of them. Throw me a bone. Yeah, yeah t TLDR here is uh, go to Create a Palooza and learn a bunch of stuff from Alexa and all the other people uh, speaking there. Austin, Texas, November 2nd and 3rd. But the non plug TLDR is get pencil because it's like really awesome and. <laughs> And, uh, and you should totally get it for creative testing. But the non-non-plug TLDR is probably, um, like, I think that a lot of this is, is really circumstantial, right? Um, we talked about brands that are in this scenario or in this scenario or whatever. Um, the biggest thing I think is, like, you got to know your levers. Because we, we talked about, okay, you know, when is it right that you should be looking at diversifying into distribution and, and getting into retail and stuff like that. When is it right that you should be looking at like building your own media company to get your product out to, into more people's hands? When is it the right thing that you really should just be diversifying your, your traffic channels? Um, so you got to know yourself and know what is going to be the lever for you. And if you don't, then yeah, I mean, go back and listen to the episode again, but also, you know, find someone who's done, you know, done this stuff before, find them on mentor pass or something like that. And, and just see if they will talk to you about it, because there are a lot of people who can help uncover that white space for you. Um, and then the, the other thing that I would say that we hit on is uh, there was, there's a lot of like customization and little tactics you can do, right? So some of my favorite little tactics you brought up is uh, customizing your email and SMS flows based on the product that the, that they bought um, offering some kind of like lower price version of your product. That's like a, 
like a imperfect, right? So if you sell a wallet, right? Like, Hey, here's an imperfect one for, for much less doing mystery boxes, doing mystery gifts, um, that kind of stuff to like really do something a little bit different than every other e-commerce brand that people are seeing or doing. Cause that's who you're advertising to now is people who buy from e-commerce brands. So if you can, you, if you've got a mystery gift in order and some other brands got 15, 10% off their first order, when you opt into their email and SMS list, like every single brand has, you look a little bit, you at least, you at least get more headspace. Like you don't, you break up the noise a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that would be my TLDR. It was really long TLDR, but it was a long episode. So that's my best shot. The, the, Thank you. The too long didn't read was almost too long. Like it was too long. I, you know, I should have a summary for the, you know, which, should I TLDR it. the TLDR? Okay. Put me back on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Casey. You go, let's put Casey on. You can take a shot at it if you want, but what you really need to do is just say all the YouTube things so we can leave. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to be all right without taking my own shot at it. You know, I will say this about this episode. I didn't know it would be possible that maybe our most fun episode today might also be our most informative episode to date. Alexa, thank you for joining us today. You are a wonderful guest. John, thank you for leading this interview. You've been killing it, man, with all these uh, guests you've been bringing on. Modern Commerce, if you are this far into the video, hopefully you liked it. So please go ahead and drop a like onto the video down below. Hit the subscribe button so that you are subscribed to our channel. That'll allow YouTube to uh, to know who likes our stuff so that they can pitch it to people who are more most like you. And also smash the bell icon so that you get notifications about whenever we drop new content onto this channel because you aren't going to want to miss a thing. I don't want to miss a thing. All right. And until next time, we will see you. Hey, ModCom, this episode was brought to you by Pencil. I'm a creative strategist at the agency that John and I work at. If you happen to be a creative strategist or you're just having a hard time rolling out enough new creatives for testing, then I have the perfect solution for you. It's trypencil.com. Over at Pencil, the AI will help you determine what your best performers are. It'll even break it down into what elements of those best performers are helping making those ads go. And it'll also take those elements and create whole new ads for you to push live straight from their platform right over to Facebook and IG. So go to trypencil.com if you want to use this and use the promo code modcom15 to save 15% off of any paid plan they have over there. You can always start with a free plan. Uh, go ahead. Actually, I recommend it even, but we're confident you're going to want to upgrade as soon as you try it out. So just remember to go to trypencil.com, use the promo code modcom15 to save 15% off of any plan. And thank you for tuning in to Modern Commerce.